I expect people in many parts of the world spent an hour or two yesterday watching the goings-on in London, coronation of our new sovereign, King Charles III. There are those who just love anything to do with the royal family. And some go to great lengths to get that closer look. We, we understand that there were people camping out since Tuesday on the long mile uh, just to get that closer view of the passing procession yesterday. There are many well-wishers across the country, indeed all across the, the earth. I, I read some of the other day that on the occasion of Her Majesty's funeral, something like four billion people were watching on television. I don't know what the figures were for yesterday for the coronation, but I'm sure there were many. We would certainly want to support all that the monarchy stands for. Britain is unique among nations in that ancient and highly symbolical coronation rites are retained. The coronation of English and Scottish monarchs have always been deeply religious affairs, uh, steeped in Christian symbolism. The consciousness that our kings and queens are solemnly crowned in the presence of God. Mark that. In the presence of God. And God's presence was prayed for yesterday. Anything that was done was done before God. And our, our, our monarch was crowned in the presence of God. It's, it's a stark reminder that we are all ultimately accountable to God sovereign or whoever, accountable to God as our creator, and that he must be Lord of the nation's affairs. It's a mistake, however, to suggest that the state has authority over the church. It's not the government's place to tell God what's right or wrong. We're living in a day when the sad reality God is not wanted in society. The, I mean, Britain is fast becoming a heathen nation. As King Charles III was crowned yesterday, a copy of God's holy word, and I'm glad it was the authorized version, a, a, a copy of God's word was put into his hands and he was asked to, to receive this book. And I noted these words, the most valuable thing that this world affords. Think about that. Your Bible. The most valuable thing that this world affords. Here is wisdom, he was advised. This is the royal law. These are the lively oracles of God. I wonder, did Charles pick up on that? Did you? You realize how important the Word of God really is. I know it's, it, it's treated very lightly today. Uh, and woe betide those who have tampered with it and brought out the new versions because they have removed so many truths from the sacred page. And that's another story. Charles was then asked, Will you, to the utmost of your power, maintain the laws of God and the true profession of the gospel. 
Now this is a question to the sovereign. Will you, he was asked, to the utmost of your power maintain in the United Kingdom the Protestant Reformed religion established by law? And in response to that, his majesty replied, with his hand on the Bible, I'm sure you saw it, I, Charles, do solemnly and sincerely in the presence of God profess, testify, and declare that I am a Protestant and that I will, according to the true intent of the enactments which secure the Protestant succession to the throne, uphold and maintain the said enactments to the best of my power according to law. That was Charles's solemn declaration to uphold the Protestant faith as taught in the Word of God. Now remember, he had his hand on the Bible when he said that. I thought, well, I wonder what's going through his head. Okay, he would be nervous because of the situation. I looked at his facial expression when he made that statement. I am a Protestant. I solemnly testify, declare I am a Protestant, that I will, according to the true intents of the Naxmas, which secure the Protestant succession to the throne, uphold and maintain. Is it not interesting that they had a Romish cardinal play a small part in the service? Where was the Protestantism? Is there not something wrong? That, that statement, beloved, renders Charles III and his government, who act in his name, accountable to God. We wonder just how much does the king realize the seriousness of those words that he uttered before God and before a watching world? How did he feel as he made his declaration, knowing in his audience were representatives of such other religions as are bitterly opposed to biblical Protestantism? How did he feel? How did they feel when they heard this read? Or did they just say, oh, well, it's just something they'd rhyme over, just matter of form, is in one ear and out the other? But God takes note of it. God was listening. And the, the, everything he said was in the presence of God and before God. Beloved, that was a solemn occasion, far more solemn than multitudes realize. Those words came from the same lips that only a couple of months ago said that God's Ten Commandments need to be rewritten. It makes me wonder just what's going through Charles's head. Where is his heart? This is the man who wants to pander to all and sundry. Now, I'm not here to run him down. When we say God saved the king, we really mean it. He needs to be saved and you need to pray for him. But this is the man who wants to pander to all in, in what he terms a multi-faith society. John 14 is very clear. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Acts 4 and 12, neither is salvation in any other. This Bible has only one message, one way of salvation. 
And multi-faiths are not anything outside Christianity is a false religion. Would you pray that God would open people's eyes to see that? If ever, beloved, if ever God's people needed to be seeking his faith for divine intervention in the affairs of this nation, it's now. We really do need to pray in all seriousness. God save the king. What Charles III needs, what this whole United Kingdom needs more than anything, is for Christ Jesus, the King of Kings, to be given back his rightful place in the hearts and lives of every man, woman, and child, the length and breadth of the land. Too many are declaring by their attitude, we will not have this man to reign over us. I'm not thinking about Charles, I'm thinking about the Lord Jesus. Beloved, it is high time that this nation took steps to bring back the king. As we think upon this subject for a moment or two today, when you ask the Lord for grace to examine your own heart, because you might be surprised just how easy it is for the believer to lose out with the Lord, to lose that sense of the Lord's presence, even in his own life. And I'm talking here to God's people. All across the earth today, multitudes are living in sin and misery. Wickedness reigns on every hand. Sin is destroying the lives of millions of people, especially the young. But all the while, only one, the only one who can rescue men from eternal destruction, the only one who can rescue, is cast out as if he had no business here. He is exactly what men need. But in the blindness of the human heart, man says, away with him. Don't want him. What tragic folly this is. The world, listen, this world is going to hell. That's 60 minutes an hour. It doesn't want to be saved from it. That's how blind people are. But there's another area where the king is not reigning as he should. And it's this I'd want to look at for a moment or two today. Just a couple of questions to tie together, if you like. Where is Christ, the King of Kings, today in relation to his own blood-bought people? And why speak ye not a word of bringing the king back? Notice here that many have lost the sense of the Lord's presence. A father's mistakes are often reflected in the lives of his children. And in the case of Absalom, of whom we read here in Second Samuel 19, David witnessed a, a better replay and amplification of many of his own past sins. God had predicted that David's family would suffer because of David's past sin with Bathsheba. And Uriah, I'm sure you're familiar with the story. And so David's heart was broken when he, he realized that those very predictions were now coming true. It's true, God forgave David his sin. But at the same time, 
the Lord didn't cancel out the awful consequences of his sin. I mean, if a couple of fellas get into a bit of a brawl in a pub, there's a fight breaks out and fists are flying and a fellow loses an eye. They may make up. They may even repent of their sin and trust the Lord for salvation, but that fellow is still without his eye. And so David is horrified to see his own son living and behaving as though he had no control over his own life. At a glance, folk would have said, well, you know, Absalom make him an excellent king. He's, he's got that natural flair. He's a good speaker. He's handsome looking. And many people, well, they just loved him for his outward appearance and the fancy things he would say. But he was sadly lacking in that inner character and control that is so much needed in a good leader. His appearance, his skills, his position, those things did not make up for any lack of integrity. Though evidently people were taken in by him, and of course, well, isn't that just typical of society? Aren't people easily swayed? Somebody comes along with a lot of fancy talk, and it doesn't really matter their history or their background. People are carried away, easily sucked in. You know, there wasn't much depth in either Absalom or his supporter. David's sins took him away from the Lord, yes, but repentance brought him back. Brought him back into fellowship with the Lord. But in contrast to that, Absalom sinned, but just kept on sinning. And although he relied heavily on the advice of others, yet he, he wasn't wise enough to evaluate the counsel he received. And so in a sense, David was receiving yet more chastisement because of the behavior of his own son. He, he, was, he, he was seeing the ongoing effect of his feeling. He brought, brought Absalom up as a spoiled child. His infant son that was born to Bathsheba died. Amnon molested his half-sister Tamar, David's daughter. In revenge for that, Absalom and Amnon, uh, Absalom had, had Amnon murdered and, and then fled into exile. But as David looked on Absalom, he, he must surely have realized that he, I, he had failed the lad. He had failed to correct him when he should. He had spared the rod and spoiled the child. And all parents should be careful not to instill too much pride into their offspring. It can lead to ruin. I know you love your children. But if you love them, you do what's right according to the book. And the book says, use the rod. Many of us were brought up with it. Didn't do any harm. The book's always right. You think, you think your child's good looking? That's very nice. Don't keep telling him so. It'll only go to his head. You allow him to, to think he's better than somebody else, it'll not do him any favors. If you spare the rod, as we say, you, you, you'll spoil the child, as David was now finding out. Pride eventually went to Absalom's head. What did he do? Rose up in rebellion against his own father. Stole the hearts of the people and gained more favor than his father, at least for a time. David was eventually brought under pressure to 
to bring Absalom back. Pressure that he gave in to. But his acceptance of his son back again only led to more problems in the future. The insurrection was eventually crushed, but not before Absalom had died in tragic circumstances. That must have broken David's heart. And we heard there in the, in the reading how he cried out, Oh, my son, Absalom. Absalom, my son, my son. The whole thing led to David having to leave Jerusalem. And it was, it was only after the death of Absalom and the absence of David that the people realized, you know, David should never have left. At least that was the view of his supporters. There were those who had to admit how they had backed Absalom when they really shouldn't have. And that had led to civil unrest. David, on the other hand, was God's anointed and it was... It was he whom many had rejected. But if Israel was going to enjoy peace, God's man, David, must be brought back to his rightful place. And so it was. The cry went up. Why speak ye not a word of bringing the king back? Oh, well, they had to acknowledge it. It had been David who had saved them out of the hands of their enemies in the past. Those who had listened to Absalom had acted foolishly for they, they'd listened to a man whose only aim was to please himself and pander to the fleshly whims of the people. Isn't this how Charles is behaving? Isn't he showing himself to, to, to want to be in favor with everybody, even though they're opposed to what he proposes or professes to stand for? Isn't he trying to keep everybody happy? But at what cost? Now, the people were saying that things of the flesh did not meet the needs of the soul. And beloved, isn't it a sad fact today? I don't miss this. Too many of God's people, too many of God's own people are living just as Absalom and his followers did. Is it not so that some of God's people have suspended their fellowship with the Lord because they've been overtaken by circumstances, by worldliness? The people of God are not on fire for God the way they might be, the way they ought to be. Their spiritual barometers are going down and down, turning from warm to cooler, going from rain to stormy. You know, so many are caught up in what they're doing. They maybe haven't even recognized the changes taking place. Lord, we all need to stop and take account. I wonder, is that somebody here? You're getting into that sad condition where you've, you've long since failed to see the king in his beauty. Have you forgotten what it is to sit in his banqueting house? Or his banner over you is love. Maybe, you've, maybe you have recognized something's just not right in your heart and life, but you, maybe you can't just quite put your finger on it. Or maybe you're not sure how to get back to that place of sweet harmony and fellowship that you once enjoyed with the Lord. If that's you today, beloved, listen, there's only one cure. Get before the Lord and pray that thing, whatever it is, pray it out of your system. It's the only answer. It's a good thing to discover where the problem lies. 
and to lament over it. But the cure for those ills doesn't lie in the lamenting. It, it lies in the seeking again of the Lord's face. If you've been in the doldrums of late, things haven't been working out for you. Maybe, maybe somebody's battling under a cloud. Beloved, look up. The Lord hasn't changed. And he's promised never to leave you nor forsake you. And if your soul has been nipped by the frost of a spiritual winter, is it not time then to seek him that the sun of righteousness might shine upon you? Let the king come back into your life and let the summer return. Don't waste your time over trivial issues and secondary remedies. Rather go straight to the root of the problem. Do you know what? Do you know what the heart of many problems is today? It's the problem of the heart. Turn your soul, turn your whole self over to your absent Lord and make it your business to bring him back to his rightful place in your life. Don't listen to the, the, the devil's suggestion that, that, that you've been away for too long or you're, you're not worthy to come back. Sure, none of us are. We only are what we are by the grace of God. Anything we are or have, we owe to his grace and mercy. Tell the Lord your need. He knows about it anyway, but he needs to hear it from you. And deal with it. Why not pray in the words of Charles Wesley's hymn, Thou, O Christ, art all I want, more than all in thee, I find. Beloved, Christ is not a disappointment. Now, if you, not, not if you let him have his own way. Don't, don't, don't be looking at, at all those things that may be wrong in your life. Get to the cross. Get back to your first love. As we said, pray those things out of your system. Fly to his wounds, ye guilty ones. Let the eternal spirit give you the joy your soul needs. It may be. You've been away from the Lord for so long, you're ashamed to come again, come back to him. Nevertheless, he would say, return unto me, for I am married unto you. And you remember those times when you, you loved the Lord's company? How, how can a child be happy if his father's continually frowning upon him? Can a bride be content away from her husband? Now, some may yet be regular in, in attending the Lord's house, but maybe you know deep down in your heart things are just not right, not the way they should be. Would you not then come today just, just the way you are? Let him restore unto you the joy of his salvation. I'm glad you can't lose your salvation, but you can't lose the joy of it. Bring back the king into your life. Another thought is that many have lost the vision of his kingdom. C.H. Spurgeon said there was never a hive of bees, but there were always a few drones that uh, had to be turned out for their inactivity. And he compared God's people to those drone bees. For many Christians, he said, uh, their whole Christianity lies in two services on a Sunday and that's it. They never do anything for the Lord. Some, he said, are even content with just one meal a week 
for their spiritual appetite. But he said those who never attend the place of prayer deny the Lord even the cheap love tokens of their prayers. Isn't it sad that some can call themselves the people of God yet have no desire to, be, to really be a, a part of the work in his church? They like to know that the work's going on well. But wouldn't it go a lot better if everyone was involved in it and backing it with their prayers? One old preacher said that such people are like the fellow riding on the top deck of the bus. He's enjoying the view, but he doesn't care who's putting the diesel in. Beloved, if the Holy Spirit were to leave Anna Long, would you miss him? Would you even notice he is gone? Is he already gone from somebody's life here? And you haven't missed him? Why speak ye not a word of bringing the king back? If one Christian can justify being idle, does that mean then that every other Christian is entitled to do the same? God works by using instruments, human instruments. Well, God doesn't need us, but he uses us. And when God gave you a tongue, he wasn't just thinking of licking ice cream. He means you to use it for his glory. When he gave you lips, they're meant to speak for him, to glorify him. When he gave you hands and feet, he meant you to use them for him, for his glory. And why else would he keep us here? Yes, it's essential. You'll not, be to not get to heaven unless you're saved. But if we were saved only so we get to heaven, you don't think the Lord would have taken you home the minute you were saved. Because he's kept us here. What for? To serve him. To be used. Are you blood bought and blood washed today, beloved? If so, then you're not your own. You've been bought with a price. You owe him everything. Is he your king today? Are you his loyal subject? Can you honestly live as unto yourself a life devoid of gratitude? Are you one of those who would say, well, I'm on my way to heaven, that's all matters? I'm glad you are. But is, is, is that sufficient excuse for not getting involved in the work of his vineyard? If Christ had said, well, heaven's mine, I, I needn't bother going to earth to look for poor lost man. Why should I bother to suffer from what do they care? If that had been our Savior's attitude, then we might excuse ourselves for being selfish, but since he came, suffered and bled and died, surely the least we can do is own him, bear testimony for him. Somebody said, will say, but oh, there's so little I can do. It wouldn't be worthwhile. You'd be surprised. Little is much when God is in it. Well, the devil would like you to think you're no use. 
Okay, one flower doesn't make a garden, but a whole lot of little flowers blossoming together can make a paradise of beauty. Let all the Lord's flowers contribute in their proportion to the beauty of God's garden. Somebody else may say, well, I'm not used to doing anything in the Lord's work. Beloved, get started. You're way behind those who are working. There's a lot of catching up to do. Get started today. Why? Payday is coming. If you can't use your tongue, your hands, use your purse. Use whatever gift God has given you, but don't be idle. Bring the king back into your life and live. Put your hand out and begin. There's plenty to, to there's plenty within your reach. Begin with that child that you kiss goodnight. If he's not saved, tell him about your saviour. If he is saved, teach him how to pray. Educate him for Christ. Pray for the salvation of your household. And if everybody in your house is already saved, well, praise the Lord. Pray for your neighbours who aren't. Beloved, the fields are white already to harvest. And if you seek to do all you can to win the lost, then when the king comes back again, and he is coming, you'll be ready to meet him with confidence. What blissful words it must be when a dear saint of God arrives home in glory and one day he's, he hears those words from the lips of the Saviour. Well done, good and faithful servant. Isn't that why we're here? Oh, listen, it is so easy. And this is a fact, the preacher has to live in this world as well as everybody else. It's so easy to get caught up in the spirit of the age. Materialism. What is it? Somebody said materialism is organized emptiness. And get you nowhere. I know we, everybody faces rising costs, saved or unsaved. We've all got to get through this world. And it's not getting any easier. We recognize that. But we're not here to stay, are we? We're only passing through. And it's only what's done for Christ. It'll count for anything in eternity. So what if you get on well in this world and you're comfortable? If the Lord blesses you with all your physical, material comforts, that's the Lord's business. But no matter how comfortable you may be or no matter what you may accumulate in this scene of time, one day you'll leave it all behind. No two bar on a hearse. You're not taking anything with you. It's only what's done for Christ. Account for anything. King of my life, the hymn writer said, I crown thee now. Thine shall the glory be. Is he king in your life, beloved? You profess to belong to him. Do you love him? Didn't the Savior say, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy strength, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. How many of us have kept that commandment? Underline the word all. 
Do we not all fall short of what is required of us? And it, it, it's not as if this is a... It, it, God's exhortation is encouragement here. It, it's not a list of do's and don'ts. It's about simply serving him. Why? Because we love him. When I think of how undeserving we all are of his love for us. Yet he loves us in spite of our behavior, in spite of our feelings. He loves us. Can we not return that love and say, Lord, here's my life, whatever's left of it. Use me for thy glory. Bring the king back. Let him back. Let him onto the throne of your heart and life. Let him live through you. And you'd be surprised at how he'll bless and use you even for his own glory. May you be encouraged to do that. Nobody, nobody ever gave himself to the Lord and went away disappointed. He'll not fail you. No matter what your circumstances, no matter how feeble you may feel, he's able. He'll use you in spite of you. He'll use you for his glory. All you've got to give is yourself. Here am I, Lord. Send me. May the Lord encourage you to renew your fellowship with him. Seek to live for his glory. Isn't that what our catechism says? Man's chief aim is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Where else would you get something like that? Isn't the Lord good? May the Lord bless these few thoughts today to our